Feliz 5 de mayo, episodio 15. Este, chiquita, me noto, me decís que te venes a tomar de rato, mi quinta en esto. Esta vida, cuando vete, pisto pointe, botellas de empty first hand rows of noise, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la realidad, la fiesta es popping and all fingers pointe, la was supposed to be EC, but uh, he got a little busy today, so um, you just have me running solo on this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you, everyone, for uh, tuning in. Uh, hope you enjoyed last last episode of the FC Tucson Takeover, part one. Uh, we have Forza FC Tucson, uh, Forza Tucson, part two today, and we'll get the we'll get that uh, uh, we'll get that to you here in a, in a little bit. Um, a little housekeeping news. Um, like I said, uh, EC's out. He'll be out this week. Uh, he'll be back next week. Um, work's picking up, hopefully, and uh, it's a good thing. Um, hope you all guys are staying safe out there. Uh, just um, remember <coughs> the social guidelines, social distancing practices, and hey, together as a country, we'll, uh, the world will come together. Uh, but a little housekeeping issues, news or housekeeping issues that I need to address. Um I need to apologize to all y'all. I know, uh, I know. After last time's pot, last podcast, uh, I said we're gonna be posting one either Wednesday or or Thursday. But uh, you know, life happens, guys. I have to, you know, y'all have to understand that my life is not this podcast, and my my wife and kids and my family uh, that I have to deal with. So I do apologize. I want to say to y'all, to all the fans, I do apologize for not. Uh, taking the time for y'all because you know y'all are a part of my life too i do apologize i need to pay attention to my fourth my third child which is the don't read on me podcast so uh, um guys uh we'll try to again we'll try to post more often and i know y'all been uh, waiting uh for the second half of the uh the interview with amanda powers and john perlman and uh here we go you stop and you remember when everything just kind of changed and you go through this now and it's it's almost like you look up and you're like, are we really going through something else like this? It's just really weird. Um, and so I, I, I like that point that you made. And to your to your point, John, you were talking about your wife uh, being on the front lines there. Um, can you speak to kind of how she's getting on? Is she doing all right? She's literally like on the front lines. Is she she getting on OK? Absolutely. I, you know, and uh so my wife is an IC nurse, and she has been at the same hospital she's been at for you know 18 years. Not sorry, since she was 18, more than 18 years now. I mean, she's one of the few gold watch people that exists still in the world. She's she's a gold watch person at you know a pretty young age. I mean, so with her hospital again before that, hospitals in general in this country are facing a number of challenges. They've become a lot, of, many of them have become for profit. When something. When the bottom line is to make money from a medical institution, I personally think there's going to be problems that are the evolve at, at to begin with. So imagine you're in a hospital, and my wife's hospital is a is an amazing place with amazing people, but it has its challenges, and it's in a challenging part of town is the best way I would put it. Gotcha. Her ICU was not an easy ICU to begin with. So what's happening for her? So first of all, from her as a person, 
Um, she's a, she's the most caring, feeling people, which is not maybe the easiest way to be when you're in an ICU. I mean, but she's great at it because she's used to holding people's hands in the last moment. She's used to comforting families. She's used to, and she can't go to any other unit because she's used to high intensity and people crashing. And that's what makes her go. That's what makes her do, do her work. Now, the challenge with this is obviously one protective equipment. So people understanding what you really need to go to go into those rooms compared to what people have was a, was a big challenge. And you're trying to get corporate people to understand what you need, who are making the decision was in what's bought, because those are not necessarily decisions made by, you know, the nurses with on the floor that have to go into the actual rooms. So that's a battle in itself. Then, of course, now, as you've been following, is how you get more PPE in the states bidding against the federal government. I can tell you that what Cuomo is talking about is as real as the day is long. Because <laughs> my wife had a truck delivering stuff turn around when somebody got a better bid and literally turn around from the, the bay and go away to the next state that did that. And you don't know if it's another state that spent more money or the actual feds that have outbid you when you've actually asked them to help on a separate occasion. So these things that are that live in everyone else's mind going, oh, that's a story that you hear. It's, it's a real thing for her. And what people don't know is a lot of the equipment they used to get in good times was from China, was from Wuhan. So the best equipment was from the Chinese. Now, I'm not a conspiracy guy, so please, if we're going to do that, I'm going to have to check out of here. No, but no, 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 no. what I'm you is there's a real truth to the fact that China does produce a lot of these, and that's why they were able to deal with, and where it came from, I don't even want to get down that, that rabbit hole, but the truth is there's so many challenges with getting protective gear. Now, right now, our hospital census is lower. And they're sending it to a lot of the cases to her, her, their sister hospital, which is right across town nearer to us. So for her, her day to day, but the patients there are sick. They're as sick as she's ever seen patients. And most of the patients, once you get on a ventilator, you do not get off a ventilator. So mentally for her, on some of the days when she does three days in a row, she's there 14 hours. She's a medic. She's a war medic, not a, not a normal care person. These doctors are war medics that are in these hospitals in New York. It's not a normal medical situation like being a regular doctor in a first world country. It's like you're in Vietnam, it's triage care. It's not even, you're not doing your best work because you're at 60%. You're worried that you're gonna get shot or in this case, get sick from COVID. You're, you're, you're making decisions on which patients you can spend the most time with because many of them and they're flowing out the windows. And you know, for her, again, and you, you're, it's hard enough to try to be a parent of three children, and we're lucky we have older children. Our kids are remarkable kids. And I don't say that just because they're my kids, because they're incredibly thoughtful and mature. They just, they're just old souls. I'm the worst of anyone here, probably. Um, I'm the real child in the in the household. But with that, their challenge is obviously they want their mother in full form. You. Ex just like when anybody has a working mom that has to work too much, there's days where they're too tired. They, they don't want to play or they don't want to talk about your schoolwork. And I have to you know, be cognizant of that. I need to be more present because I was the workaholic before that. And my wife used to work three days and really be able to take and one of those days. Instead of working three and she's four days to be with her family, there's sometimes one or two days required just for mental and physical recovery. She's injured. She's playing hurt. 
like all the greats do. I mean, because she doesn't feel comfortable taking a steroid right now because of it can affect your lungs and your breathing. And she doesn't feel that comfortable exposing herself to a PT person because she doesn't want them to get sick from her. She did, she can't get sick because she doesn't want her staff to be staffed down. And she's chosen to be with us here, but we've talked about her being at a hospital. So all these considerations make it, but she's been, but again, she's a worker like him. So when she gets, comes home, she doesn't sit and relax or walk. She wants to clean the whole house. She wants to solve every bill. She wants to redo our taxes for years. That haven't happened yet. I mean, that's, that's how she rolls because she's a doer. And John, um, what are you doing in this? Where's where, where are you? Where are you in this equation? I'm I'm tweeting out the Rocket League game. Huh? That a boy, John. We don't we don't have a commercial department. Amanda and I are writing commercials. We don't yeah. we, we don't have an ad. I'm the team ad. We're we're every, you know, we're, we're basically every every job that when you lose part of two thirds of your staff, it's. It's not like that work goes away. That work has to be distributed yeah. amongst people who aren't experts at that work that those people were. So you have to take your time. You have to be thoughtful about what you do. So you're doing work that you're not as good at, which everyone knows takes twice as long. So again, I have to remind myself to tell Amanda I need to step away and talk to my 15-year-old and see how she's doing. But I have to remind her. It's not like she says a magic – she's going to tell me that she needs a minute to step away and do something with her – we have to over communicate because we're used to doing all that stuff and then coming back and grinding it out. I mean, we had a preseason. We were, she was, I was going home at, at six and she was keeping some of the under my, my underlings till nine or 10 because there was that much to do. And we were behind and we are s still catching up. Yeah. Uh, well, and I would say just on top of that too, you know, again, like, all of those responsibilities are there and then you add covid which basically i'm i'm operating we're we're, we're figuring out three scenarios here uh return to play in july august end of august extending our season in november is sort of one option then you've got sort of option two no season what does that look like and then option three what's sort of a pod regional sort of potential there. Um, there's been some discussion about that. I know the MLS is kind of looking at that as well. We certainly those conversations are coming up if, you know, that the teams at our level at league one just don't have the kind of big, you know, the, the sort of uh, funding that even championship or MLS teams do. So whatever they're doing, we can't just mirror that. Um, so the idea of playing behind closed doors, we just don't have broadcast deals to support that. Um, but we are, we are doing some analysis right now of putting on a, what would an event with 15 to 48 teams maybe, you know, look like, um, can we go to these hotels and rent out the whole hotel? No, you know, have no staff there, have our own medical protocols in place and, and try to work with government officials, which has been a lot of my work this week is really going to you know, political officials, uh, business leaders and saying, what are we doing on a reopening plan? Are we really thinking like that we have to get industry specific or are we thinking that we just need tests and like, do I need to go buy a bunch of tests and keep them in my fridge at the office? And then that's a whole conversation there. But, you know, it's just interesting because now you're spending your time kind of like figuring out these models tactically 
but still with the vision in mind of how we're going to get to where we need to be in a, you know, a couple of years is just, you know, it's just, it, it does require, like, even when we're not in, you know, the sun's up at night, you know, the mind is pondering, the, the mind is certainly kind of like mulling things over going, huh, you know, how is this going to work? So, yeah, that that's some of the stuff that we're dealing with. Well, Jen, I want to. No, you're good. I want to say I, I truly, truly, truly feel like she's a superwoman. It sounds like uh, obviously she's a hero for being on the front line. So when I found out she was on the front lines, I definitely started praying for her and I will continue to do so because that work, um, it's it's absolutely amazing. Jesus and I are, are HSCs. And so we deal with with a lot of folks that when they get sick or when they get injured, we, we deal with those folks. That's what we do. But it's nothing in comparison to what she's doing. So um, on behalf of the podcast, yeah, let her know that we totally appreciate what she's doing and uh, we'll continue to pray for her and, and you, you and your family as well. Yeah, and, you know, just to take this a little bit internationally so that you guys, I mean, obviously for Manchester United, there are billions billions of dollars at stake for them and for the future of their club and all their workers and all of that. So, I mean, you, you can take what we're doing, you can expand that to the level of what, you know, the EPL and what, you know, the major leagues are dealing with. It's we're a micro of what they're dealing with. It's not exactly the same, but you can, we're, we're certainly very, you know, sympathetic and empathetic to the, to the problems they have of choosing who stays and who goes. And then of course, for us, it's a little bit easier with player contracts. So of course the players make so much and then they should give with our players. They do not make very much and taking them down 50% would not allow them to live in any way that would be reasonable. So those aren't options that we have in terms of the financial model. But, you know, obviously you wonder with a country like England, could they do everything out of Wembley and, and put and, and, you know, make give everyone the revenue? Because in England, it's close enough where people could get to. And you're probably going to choose the biggest stadium possible because at least maybe you could get 8000 people there at a special ticket or rotate your tickets or and then give it back to charity and do, I mean, there's probably miles there, but again, the sponsorship responsibilities that they have to activate are on levels that are astronomical. And I was thinking today, Amanda, and I, I just, I'll say this on the podcast, just because we were, I was talking to Amanda, I was listening to one of those guys who gets on a cell phone in New Yorkers ranting, let me tell you about what we should be doing. But one of the guys was like, look, when you're talking about people getting three months of a furlough on their mortgage, and then having to pay that three months later when they haven't been working, and those three months are tacked on, why can't you tack that on at the end? I think, obviously, God forbid that there's a conversation where we're not doing it, is the conversations for these ESPN people have to be like, look, man, you're going to get your money. What we're going to do is it was a five-year deal for $30 billion. It's now a six-year deal for $30 billion, but we're not going to pay you the, the, the $5 billion this year. You're going to get the $10 billion on the back end, and we're going to have enough time to plan for that and be able to do that. Can we continue to do business together in the way we've done business? Because these types of things, you know, you listen to these weird things. If you don't, like Amanda, you're going to go mad if you watch the news all day. But if you don't listen, the weirdest thing you're hearing can give you an idea that may allow you to continue to do business. I've, I've had some of the most meaningful conversations in the most – randomest places with people outside my industry that have changed how I've thought about it. And Amanda always gets to talk to Malcolm, who's agnostic about soccer. He's a rock and roller. And he'll just go, I'm just looking at this as a thoughtful person. And that's why you can't only talk to 
soccer people about soccer business. It's a huge mistake that I made and that a man has really pushed me away from. And you can't only talk to medical people. You need to talk to lay people who will be affected by medical decisions as well. And that's why it's great to have Shannon and me. And I go, have you guys thought about this? Even though it's not a – I'm not suggesting a medical solution. I'm right. going, we've moved people in and out of – I've moved people in and out of buildings. I've, I've done security – in, in things so where are these areas connected and that's why people need to what this has taught us if anything is that we need to talk more about things and stop hoarding information because you know that edge you have cannot be an edge if no one else has it when you we're now we're a league now we were if we weren't a league before we're a league now and this will when each of these leagues when they get through this will this is an opportunity for them to create systems that work better for all the leagues. If we're smart, if we don't, the worst thing we do is go back to business as usual after this. 100%. For all of us is to go back doing business better because we have the chance. Like if I'm not taking this time when we're not in the field, if the, the EPL, if, 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 if the FIFA isn't getting together and going, all right, we've been an unmitigated shit show for X number of years and how we've handled our finances. The bigs are the bigs. How are we going to make this league we have to learn how to deal with it. We're not prepared for this scenario. Let's never not be prepared again. Let's so this if we can get through this and we will, the game is gonna be bigger on the internet. The, the game is gonna be bigger. The the pies are gonna taste sweeter. I mean, everything is gonna be better. <laughs> but we have to get through it. And I'm, our job is to get FC Tucson through it so that we can reap the spoils of what will be a, a miraculous return to you know, outside gated sports. People don't want to play their space stations. They don't want to sit in front of their TV and want, they want to smell the air and smell the, the grill at the, at the stadium. They want to, you know, have their crappy broth and make that better. Good God. At, at, at Old Trafford. But, but I mean, the reality is that this is an opportunity as you know, don't make this suffering for nothing, make it meaningful. And we're trying to do that. And just, if you can't, that's a lot of responsibility. And, you have to pick your times to to shoulder it and pick your times to go, I'm just going to walk my dog because I only have so much mental energy for that moment. hundred uh, percent agree. I saw that rant. That guy was like spitting into the camera. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good take, man. He went in. But he actually had some real. He did. Because the working class, the, the people, a lot of the people are making these decisions aren't working class. You don't know if you, if you don't, if you're, if, if you're in government and you made it that high, you probably haven't dealt with what the, the people on the ground are dealing with. 100%. 100%. That's why there's a new breed of politician coming through. And I want to, I'd like to call him like maybe the thoughtful street politician, not someone like, well, I'm not going to mention any names, but somebody who has no experience and no intelligence in the area, but someone who actually maybe doesn't have the same, you know, pedigree in terms of, you know, I went to Yale, then I went to Oxford, then I got my degree in public management. No, I've been on the streets of the Bronx for X number of years. I've done business through the Bronx. I've tried to get something passed. I've had health concerns in the Bronx. I've had those people, we need those people more than ever to tell us, to guide us. And we're, a man is spending a ton of time trying to connect with those people here because we don't know as well. It would be a lie. I mean, I live on the east side of town. I live in a, a gated community. I mean, I... I've coached those players and that's really helped me because I really do know, and I've spent tons of time with them, but we need help making good decisions for our fan base, for our community. We need that. We need everyone involved. 
not just the doctors, not just the politicians, not just the, the social elite. It's a huge mistake. Uh, John, John, you brought up a good point. And when you're talking about people, people actually engaging in, 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 in the people, Amanda, getting back to you before all this, before the COVID kind of, let's kind of try to move on from, from the, from what we're going through. What was the pulse of the people in Tucson about FC Tucson when, I mean, when y'all started this, you know, basically this project, because I mean, it's kind of, uh, like you said, John created, uh, you know, this, this was one of, one of him and his partners 10, you know, 10 years ago, it was a dream, you know, that what they're going to create, what, I mean, what is the pulse of the, the community? Cause obviously you said you, you, you know, you community activists, what, what, I mean, what was it before all this happened? I'd like to say something and I want Amanda to continue on because right. the truth was we had gotten to a point and just to give you the history so it makes sense, there were four there were four partners in the in the in the uh, not in the in the company. And it was a LLC and we were uh, managing members. We weren't even owners, we were called we were called managing members. And we're all working managing members. So everybody sort of had their department. Uh, we had a Greg Foster who handles you know, the community and the government outreach. Plus he was a lawyer and he did a lot of the, the, the outreach stuff. We had a ticketing specialist and a sales specialist who had done that. We had a head coach, Rick and I, that really handled the youth. And, I, and we handled the, the management of the team and also the management of the facility and the event on the ground. So we actually had a, a very balanced, as we got through it, we went down to three partners. And then we were two partners, just Rick and I. And then there was just me. So at the point when we sold, we had lost a ton of momentum because we weren't we were running it more of it as um, the team. So the team was successful and the things we did operationally were successful. But I didn't have the bandwidth to do what we needed to do. And we didn't have the dollars any longer to do that. We were a startup that needed capital. So we were when Phoenix Rising bought us, we were we needed that. Engine. There was no we had lost some fan base. We had lost some momentum. We had we had only gotten to the. The core people were left, but you weren't going to make it on a team with 1,500, 1,800 fans. They loved us. They loved what we did, but it wasn't a business model. It was a fun thing that they got to do for 10 games in the summer as we were always competitive and good, and they had the preseason. But it wasn't working for the rest of us who were working just to keep the thing alive and taking bridge loans and doing all these risky things to keep it going. So when Amanda got it after rising, it just didn't gel well with the fact that we were a Phoenix zone rising had very good intent. I don't, it's not that we have any issue rising, just we couldn't make it. We couldn't make the emotionally for Tucson. It was a lot for them to handle. So as we were working through this, Amanda really was needed so desperately and relationships, not that I had bad relationships, but overall relationships needed to be repaired and, and new and a new, new blood had to take the mantle. My face wasn't going to be the face right now for FC Tucson. It wasn't a face that was not a trustworthy face. It was simply that, like, John, we know you've given everything you have, but we're we're stuck here. Who's going to get us unstuck? And, and so, Amanda, you can sort of, you know, build off that because that's really where you came in when we were we were stuck. You know, we had a rough year on, on the field and off it um, with some decent moments, but we were stuck. Um, yeah, um Gosh, there's just been such rich conversation. Um, 
you know, I spent 12 years in New Mexico. I, I moved out. I'm a Californian and, and, and moved. I did not intend on living in New Mexico. And I got kind of stuck out there. Um, <laughs> I kind of had a spiritual bottom out there, learned a lot of things. So you talk about coming from the street. Believe it or not, I speak corporate and I speak hood. So, um, you know, I, um, I kind of, you know, had my kind of come to Jesus moment, if you will, in New Mexico and um, really got involved in the community and that um, and really got involved with a lot of thought leaders, creatives, musicians, um, also biotech industry people um, and, and, and spent a lot of time with like the TEDx group there that was pretty much all all roads lead to TED when you're looking for innovators and thought leaders. Um, and I grew up in an activist household. My mom actually uh, worked for Cesar Chavez in Tucson really? in 1973 um, with the United Farm Workers Union. And in San Diego growing up, I grew up at the Union Hall. And so I saw my 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 mom especially um, really learn uh, about labor movements and how to build um, how to how to build a movement. I, I grew up. I didn't even realize that that's what was happening. But I grew up at the Union Hall and saw it was very very intense. It was you know the defense industry in the eighties. We had we boycotted you know airlines that weren't union. We put stickers on our car that said if you're not uh, by Amer you know by American by union. And, you know, and my mom was on an anti-NAFTA sort of board in 93 there in San Diego. So um, I, I think what's in, so I just was sort of ingrained with that. Um, and it was really interesting because I had such a big community in New Mexico. And the only reason why I really believe that New Mexico United was successful is because um, of the relationships that the executive team had, myself, Ron Patel and Peter Trevisani. Um, and we built an authentic mission for the club that people could, could, could believe in. And it was, you know, to bring New Mexicans together in ways they could never, uh, they never experienced before. And it had no mention of soccer. And our whole ethos was marrying art and sport because that's what, was, that's New Mexico is art and sport. Um, and I say all this because I think that our nation is, um, especially, you know, the Gen Xers, Gen Y, millennials are starting to realize that like home is where the heart is. And it's about, it's about the community that you live in and not being a cog in some machine. And when you can really understand that about a city and you really can understand what is the sort of what's missing in the city? What, what is the feeling that people in a city want to feel in New Mexico? New Mexico, first of all, most people don't even know it's a U.S. state. <laughs> Secondly, it's like on the bottom of every list. People are like, oh, Breaking Bad, right? So, that's all we know. Right? Um, but I mean, it had real that state has very serious challenges. I mean, I just want to say that the only reason they got breaking bad is because we got rid of the film industry here because we weren't smart and New Mexico was welcoming in the TV industry or we could have had breaking bad. They were really looking to do it in Tucson because we have all those problems here where people used to steal copper wire out of the fields. That I used to have my players. at. So good on New Mexico on that one. Yeah. We got the show. Oh, well, that's crazy. Yeah. I didn't know that. But, 
No, but I mean, to, to, to John's point, I mean, I, I don't, I, I try to be careful. Like, you know, I, I'm the only female president in pro soccer in the U.S. I, I think Amanda Duffy, you know, with Louisville FC and, um, you know, came before me and, and I had the privilege of working with somebody who helped um, Amanda build that club. Um, and, um, you know, I, I just, I, I feel like um, this is the sort of time right now where, we need that sort of different thinking, that feminine thought. And um, my thought process on a lot of these things, it's all about context versus content. And so when you have a really good pulse on the community and you really understand like the challenges like it was talked about earlier, um, um, then you can speak to people with with your club through that um you look at all the great clubs in england you know and how they got started i mean that's you know it's about the supporters and 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 the you know the people there and 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 really building that club for the supporters um and so you know in new mexico we were we were building something bigger than ourselves and so when i came here um well first of all it um the vibe because it's por la frontera um you know it's 60 miles north of the the Mexico border um hablo español and I had it spoken much Spanish believe it or not in New Mexico and I got here and I was immediately felt like I was returned home mm-hmm. uh, there is such a rich this is a, a you know a more liberal part of Arizona and um, there is such a rich culture here of um, the Native American population, the um, Mexicanos that are here. There's a whole South Tucson um, history here of activism and old hippies and snowbirds and then the U of A. And there's this like incredible food scene and music scene. And when I started kind of going around town and going to all the spots and seeing the murals, I saw two things. I saw this very vibrant, like city middle, like the city that's like the, the markets I had just been in, in Albuquerque, in Tulsa, in in these sort of, and, and now in Tucson, like these cities that are sort of overshadowed by bigger cities that have really, really good things going on, and people have a lot of pride about that. People like want to, you know, they want to rep their town. They have pride for that, and so. Um, what, what I was seeing is this like very vibrant culture, very multicultural and this like extremely diverse. And then you have this like giant overarching University of Arizona that's like everywhere. It's Bearcat or Bear Down, Wildcats, University of Arizona everywhere. And people really identify with that. But I felt like there's a big piece that's missing between sort of the U of A and like the people who like have built this city. Um, and, and, and I felt like, you know what? I know that the supporters culture right now to, in their own words, we had a call with them yesterday is a little anemic. Like they're a little, they're a little tired, you know, they, 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 they want to know what they're fighting for again. You know, um, they don't really understand league one. Um, they want to win games. And at the end of the day, like we've been doing these ethos discussions, John, myself and coach and our, and our staff is like, what do we want this club to represent? You know, and we don't want to like manufacture some 
mission statement or some corporate pillars around something that we think we can just like turn around and turn into some pretty little brand. So what we've been doing for the last three months um, is just going to the community and the partners. And I've really tapped into a lot more of the Latino community who has felt very underserved here as well, um, particularly in the last couple of years. And so, you know, when Alan Polito was playing in the MLS preseason this year, man, we were putting... We were putting his face on, on, on boards, getting him interviews, you know, at, at the border, at the billboards, everywhere. And it was amazing to see, you know, the, the Hispanos, the, you know, the, the vaqueros, the, the, the folks that are coming out for these games, you know, um, that have been basically sort of left out. And that's kind of what I heard just in the first, you know, month or so. I feel like I have a pretty good read on that and connected with some community leaders here and, I've, they've bought into our vision. You know, our vision is in the next couple of years to get promoted. Our vision is to have, you know, a new facility that we can play competitions in and bring some folks maybe from across the pond. Um, and if we could get 13,000 fans a game for 17 home games in New Mexico, I have no doubt in my mind, we can't do that in Tucson. But it's not going to be U of A basketball. It's not going to be that style. It's It's got to be like this community patchwork of people where and and i have this vision where it's like you know especially it's 2020 and it's the political year where like i know we've done our jobs when like people are are high-fiving in the stands that are republicans and democrats black white latino asian whatever and that's what this game does you know is that's that's what i want to see happen i want to see that healing take place and it's just about soccer and people are going back to their neighborhoods and the, and they're they're continuing that and the kids are seeing that because at the end of the day that's like totally that if we had to kind of you know drill everything down to what we're doing at the end of the day at the end of the day it's all about the kids and it's all about creating a better US men's national team through you know with a path to pro which is what we can provide to kids with with our platform you know and 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 get more competitive on the world stage and so, you know, we have this ability to go across southern Arizona, to go south of the border. Um, we can go and 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 find, you know, uh, the next Messi. You know, we we can go out there and find them and give that kid an opportunity that they would never have had before. So we are fo- we are trying to answer, I think, a question that isn't necessarily being asked. Um, it's a feeling. And I think that what we're trying to do is like give that feeling to something that people don't even know that they need yet. And uh, we intend to do that through the beautiful game. All right. It's getting me fired up over here. All right. And I, I like it. Sports is so communal. It's just, I mean, what everything you said encapsulates of what I think we're, everybody's yearning for. I think in our last pod, EC said that you can put, um, Birmingham on 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 TV right now, and you'll have a you know ten million people watching, right? Just and and what you're doing with with the the community, especially the Hispanic community in your area, um, I appreciate that because um, you know I'm Hispanic as well, and um, I think um, sometimes it's not heard on the lower levels, you know uh, of what we want, you know, what, what our community wants. So obviously, you know, it's larger sports, the Spurs, the Cowboys and the Rockets and stuff like that. So here in Texas, it's really, it's really not, 
you know, we have minor league baseball in, in the in our my area, but we don't have in my area a minor league football. I mean, or soccer. I'm sorry. So I mean, what you're doing outreach programs, uh, what John started back, you know, in 2010, or with his partners in 2010, creating this, getting the pulse of what you know what people wanted, especially with the youth. I think it, you know, it's amazing, and um, uh, I re- we really appreciate what you know hearing y'all hearing you talk, y'all. I mean, obviously now you know I'm texting right, y'all. Um, <laughs> Hearing y'all talk, uh, it's very. Uh, I mean, it's very. It's refreshing that we have this. This you know, of we have this view of uh, where we want to see football, and that's and that's where I want to get at right now. Um, you mentioned a lot of things, Amanda and he, uh, John as well. <clears throat> where do you see men's? Because Amanda, you said men's football. Where do you see men's football? In the next six years, minus the COVID, I kind of want to get off, you know, FC Tucson. Let's mm-hmm. talk about let's talk about football in general for the, for U.S. men's soccer. Where do you see football going in the ne- in, the, in the direction it is? Because here's a, a a few underlining questions with that. Um, there's a a gas a gap, you know, of like me and EC. We're you know we're here. Um, you know, we're Americans. We'd rather watch Premier League mm-hmm. football. We pre- we'd rather watch La Liga football. We'd rather watch uh, a, a City A football, Bundesliga football. And I think down the down the pipe, uh, after you go maybe after you Liga MX, I think Liga MX and then ML- MLS um, would be on the same par. Where do we? Where do you reach us? You know, us fans um, that want to watch football uh here in the states want to root for our own local boys um where i mean where and because this is probably a complex question that you know the world football or usa football has been trying to crack because we have so many options in you know american football baseball basketball things like that um where where can we get to where we are on the same level as England, France, Germany, or we just scrap that and say, you know, we're in the United States and this is our product and we're going to be mid-level, we're going to be mid-level nationally through the rest of our, the rest of our days. I got a couple things about that. Um, and then John's perspective is always, you know, super interesting. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that any American um, out there does not want to see the United States compete at the World Cup or Olympics. And I would say most Americans know what those, have, as I've at least heard what the World Cup is, and certainly knows what the Olympics is. And I think most Americans, you know, whether they say it or not, want to see their team win. That's why the Olympics are so special. That's why the World Cup is so special. But obviously, it's a journey to getting to the to to the to both of those um, you know tournaments levels you know and matches um, that you know the average American doesn't necessarily understand how you get to the World Cup you know with with in the, in the process there. Um, so I try to focus when I when I go out to businesses or the average Joe when they look at me and they go, oh, the soccer lady. And I go, well, I'm not as much of a soccer lady as you would think I am. But um, 
but I bet you care about being an American, whatever, you know, that means for you, you have a sense of pride in the values that you have and how you want to uphold that. And you probably would want to watch the United States compete at the highest levels against Germany, um, against England and win. Right. hundred percent. So, so that's why you need to care about FC Tucson because as John mentioned earlier, Aaron Long, you know, played PDL here in Tucson is now men's U.S. national team captain. So, you know, if you're not um, understanding first and foremost the the long, rich history, like I think there's so much we take we take for granted what it took to build the soccer dynasty that Europe, you know, and England, English football and, and Spain have, and even in an American football with NFL, like you know. Th- that is a, you know, the, it took a lot to build sports leagues. And, um, and so we're sort of what I'm actually comforted by. And to answer your question, where do I see things in the next six years is that I think that the United Soccer League is a very good product. I think it's getting better. I think that what they have done um, with the USL Championship, League One and, and League Two um, in getting soccer at a pro semi-pro level in markets in these sort of cities that feel like disenfranchised or, you know, you're not on a big coastal city, you're not Seattle, you're not LA, these smaller towns in America that have, they're like, we don't want to go live in LA. We don't want to live in New York. We like where we live and we're going to take pride and we're going to love it when a team from LA comes into our city and we kick the shit out of them. Like, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I think that that's so, so, you know, so the USL has done a very good job in building the championship. I think you have more sophisticated ownership that's come into soccer in general. So you've got more money coming into the USL championship level, you know, valuations and franchise fees and all of that is going up. People are starting to see it. Um, and so with that, you're bringing a little bit more talent, player salaries go up. So when that's happening and now collective bargaining agreements are happening, now you're getting national sponsorship deals. So overall, the league is getting stronger. And I think sort of because it's got the second and third and uh, fourth divisions of soccer there, you you can see interesting stuff happen where, where you get some supporters group who like the curse in New Mexico or the Coopers in Louisville that, or, you know, there's this, um, you know, LAFC. I mean, you've got this amazing supporters group that just now brought in people who couldn't name one European team, let alone an MLS team. But you know what they said is they they saw somebody that they respected and loved who cared a lot about soccer and they got brought in and they go to a game and they're like, Oh my God, I need more of this. Oh my God, I need more of this. And that's, and, and that's certainly what we did in New Mexico. You know, people were like, God, you know, all week long, when's the next game? When's the next game? And these were people who weren't necessarily even sports, you know, sports fans. These were people who just lit, like loved, loved what that club was all about and loved what it was doing for, to make people feel good. So I would say that, you know, soccer purists out there who don't think that what we're doing here at League One or USL Championship is 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 good enough or not worth watching? I would say, uh, well, you know, that's not really fair. <laughs> and also, um, 
you know, go to a game, like go tap into to some people who are part of the supporters culture of the, of the club that's in their community. And you can see that there's a lot of heart and you might, you know, you, you could sit there and criticize that the level of play isn't what you prefer to watch. But the reality is, is that this is what's helping us to all, you know, have better team at the, you know, the national level and, and, and maybe get some of our guys to go get some, you know, beefy contracts across, you know, across the pond. That'd be great. So, um, you know, I just, I just really believe in our league. I really believe in what, what it's doing for the sport in a very short amount of time. And, um, and I think it is somewhat sustainable just because it is smaller. You're not dealing with the same sort of contracts and billion dollar stadiums, you know, this, in my opinion, think about this right now. I mean, like heaven forbid, we'd have to shut it down right now. You know, but it's not like we're, 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 we have as much at stake as some of these, you know, major leagues do, you know? Um, so that's just sort of my, my, either my, my soapbox or I don't know what, but those my, that's my sort of purview on that. Yeah. I mean, mean, the question you're trying to get answered is the, is the great question, right? Um, we want soccer to be the biggest sport here. All of us that are the most enthusiasts. We want obviously a national team that's really competitive, and we want to we want to see the top talents here. We don't want to see. The, so I mean, for me, you know, why do you want to see those teams in in Europe? Is because the players there, the quality of the game is higher for the for the fan and the intensity. And those players want to play there because the dollars are higher. So you can't just jump there because when they tried to jump there, you had the NASL. So it created a structure where they could slowly build towards it. And no one in America likes slow. We like fast. We like, we're number one. We're the best. <laughs> we have no patience for it. It was a massive, massive thing that happened when we didn't qualify for the World Cup. Because what that would have done is it would have put Pulisic on the stage. And we would have seen the commercials. Because if you look at, if you look at someone like him, he's made it. So it proves to you that, hey, if you play soccer – you can become world famous and you can make the money that you make in the NBA, in NFL. And knowing that, especially when it comes to the NFL and the injuries that are happening in the CT and all that, it's really unique that people, for me, again, soccer's got to become cooler. So we've got to do things to make it cooler and, and more trendy. And it's starting to come that way. But if Pulisic had gotten those ads, the same kind of ads that a LeBron gets or whatever. If you're you're a young person growing up and you're the guys you're looking up to, you want to get out of your situation. That's where all the greatest players are coming. You want to get out of their situation. So you're going to work your ass off to get out of your situation so you can make $180,000 on an MLS team? No, you're going to go play basketball and try to get out of your situation, get on, the, get on an NBA contract. Right. So I think there's a big part of that too. And also – Soccer has is doing a better job, but it hasn't been able to the music culture hasn't been able to blend in with soccer culture the way hip hop is blending with that basketball or NFL. And that's a big thing too. That's where people really feel the connection they want to be. That's who they're looking up to. So soccer's gotta find their way into that if we want to find the quality of athletes that are playing those sports. And it's so cool. And you're you you're the one the DJ's talking about and somebody's spitting rhymes about you know, Landon Donovan as opposed to, you know, I mean, that's a big part of it. That's where you're taking a way. I think that's part of it too. But again, 
It's the amount of dollars and the age. Amanda makes a great point. How long it's been around. It took the NFL a long time to be meaningful. It took the NBA a long time to be meaningful. We lost that opportunity when NASL was designed badly. If NASL had been designed like MLS at the beginning, right now it would be those MLS would be big enough and those stadiums would be strong enough and those teams would be able to have a team filled with Cristiano Ronaldo's and multiple talents. But right now, for the business model to work, look, the salaries are getting up. Look, we're drawing guys. Vela's in his prime. We're drawing. We're getting closer. But, yeah, the MLS product is a great product for me. I think there's many great players. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you I, that a Liverpool-Chelsea game looks like a LAFC game. Now what's cool is actually – the environment they're played in, the television quality, all of that is. But to the trained eye, to the to the next, so that there's a generation. We're the generation past that. I'm sorry, the generation coming through thinks that's the best level of soccer. That's the level they care about. But there's only been about 10, 10, 12 years of that level because the league was. This is the new version of the league, and the league was in big trouble in the early 2000s, as we all know for all the reasons that it was. So, time. America's impatient. I think we're on the right track. I think the Federation has done a lot of things wrong. I've been part of I've been part of the decisions. I've I've voiced my opinions on things and things are changing on the level. But again, if you want the best athletes to play it, it's gotta be the coolest thing to do. They want to get paid and they want to they want to see their name in light. So that was a big part of it. Some of that's dreaming of seeing your name in lights and being famous as much as being just a great create the sport and fall in love with it. And it's also having parents that love that sport yeah. that are great athletes fall totally in love with that sport as well. And that's happening now. We've got, listen, Russell Wilson owning that team is a big deal. When Russell Wilson's baby comes time to play a sport, he's the one playing football. I'm telling you, he's going to have all the athleticism and all the intelligence. And there's going to be your number eight, man. I'm telling you, it's a big deal how these things are getting integrated. I think we're better on our way, but we are a ways away. I think 26 is a great goal. I think in 26, we really can make a dent. And that's, we why, have that, to that's why I said a six-year goal, because we have the World Cup coming up here, you know, two years. Four years from that, it's going to be after uh, – it's Qatar, right? Hopefully we can get yeah. some sort of a <laughs> game going on in Qatar. I don't yeah. really agree with it, but oh, oh well. <clears throat> two last questions for you all, because, I mean, this conversation is going on great, and I really love it, but my wife's uh, – Hounded me right now. Says, I get dinner in five. What do you got for me? It's got to be the speed round. It's got to be the speed uh, round. Actually, these are two good questions, actually. Uh, Taylor Tolman had a couple of comments regarding um, due to this COVID-19, would the league, MLS, and league and American football or soccer, soccer, um, would it benefit going – to what uh, England or what the world is actually, their season-wise, beginning in in, um, in September and ending in May, it gives it the best opportunity. And I want you to comment uh, if you have not heard Wayne Rooney's comments on Instagram, an Instagram interview regarding transfers and the transfer model here in the United States, uh, whereas it's a lot different in Europe. Um, I think he just made it made it how. Uh, the players have no negotiation and transfers or their age, agents weren't involved and the players can be traded away. <laughs> if you can actually uh, comment on those, those two, then we can go lightning round. 
do you want to start? I mean, I can. No, go for it. So the first, Amanda, you start. I get, I get to look up what Rain Rooney said so I can. Yeah. Get it right. I guess is what I would say. Yeah. Um, I would say that. Uh, I mean, in in our in our situation, um, you know, you you pro you won't see that that season um, change, uh, at least not this, this, you know, to work through this. Um, I think that um, we have also some other issues too, because, you know, we do have a Canadian team, Toronto FC2 in our, in our, um, our team has, our, our league has 14 teams. We're the farthest West. Um, and, you know, we pay, we, we've just, we've got this, this new sort of, um, uh, collective bargaining player association that's been developing and and there's just a lot of like moving parts i can't see us doing anything like that this year and i'm sorry i haven't been paying attention to the comments um i mean overall um you know i i always i always like what taylor twelman has to say but i um i really i, I have we haven't even thought about that at the league level i could tell you that much at least not in the conversations i've been in I can tell you, you know, micro in terms of uh, following the European season, there's a lot of challenges that this country has in terms of the teams that we have that we play against in terms of weather. So our league, I don't think it's it's really feasible to do that. I also think, again, with the the, the major sports that we have going on and with um, – I'm not sure that it's the best – it's the best mall. I think at this point, you know, really, you know, obviously – Teams that are in NFL stadiums are in different situations, but uh, again, I'm not I'm not opposed to us trying to match the time of year in other places. And look, they do play in not so great weather in England, but you know the reality is there are real, real challenges that our country faces in terms of some of the markets where we have teams in terms of the weather. And it's um, it's really sort of uh, an interesting idea, but I don't think it's the thing that's holding our leagues back as much as as people say it is as far as Rooney going on the transfer system and the system that we have here for player movement here. Again, I think there's a lot to, there's a lot to be said about reforming it. Um, I think, you know, I've heard a lot of talk lately specifically about agents, you know, look, agents should be paid lots of money, but not the amount of money that they're getting to exchange a player over to move them over. You should not be getting tens of millions of dollars to sign a paper when all you're doing is calling someone up that could call that person directly. I think there's, I don't like the idea that Scott Boris gets a zillion dollars because he manages to hold the cards and he's able to do that again. I think there's a skill set there. I think there's a amount of money, but again, it's hurting those commissions and those things are hurting the price and it's hurting the world game overall here. MLS is making some moves, but it was designed for a reason why they did it to keep the league alive because of the failures of the past. Now, a lot of times when something really bad happens, you get an overcorrection, you know? So it's always, and then that correction eventually mills out. So if something really terrible happens to me and, and my child is playing in the street and he gets, you know, God forbid, you know, something happens to them, the answer is not for them never to play outside again. The answer is somewhere in the middle. But when these things ha happen, like the NASL and when their league is teetering on the collapse, they're very slow to allow free agency. They're very slow. They've got to find ways to do that where it, it 
the owners, the owners who have invested all this money in there are on a footing that, that allows them to keep their business going. Now, where that middle ground meets is always the challenge, right? And that's where people sit in rooms for long periods of time. But yeah, I'm for transfer reform. I'm definitely for player movement reform to help players um, and then to protect also businesses because I understand that side of it. And there's a way to get where both people can have a better stable setting. But again, it's greed, right? We got here through greed. You know, we've all got – the problem is America is doing the worst in this because we're the greediest. And that's really how I feel. I'm pro-capitalism. I'm independent. I'm not a, I have a lot of very conservative views on, on economy. I'm going to pull yourself up by your boots. But it's never been even here. It's never been close to even. It's messed up, and this is a real opportunity in sport, like you talk about in transfer, in looking at any leagues, it's a real chance to look at everything. And smart people in each and every industry, schools, teaching, learning around the world should be taking this time and being thoughtful about it and doing that. You're not going to fix everything, but there's some things you know absolutely are broken that you don't have to go back to now because you have the time to change them without being in real time. The reason we were all inferior parents is because we're parenting in real time. If you get a break from doing that, you can think about your parenting. Boy, man, you're a way better grandparent once your kids are done because you, you can think about how you were as a parent and become a better. But to be able to do what we can do right now in real time is unique, and the negative can be turned into the one of the greatest positives that has ever happened in the history of the planet, and I hope it does, in sport and throughout. I don't, I, know, I don't know about you, John, but my uh, my two little girls tell me that I'm the best father in the world. So I'm not, I don't no, at all. Listen, listen, I'm turning this into a therapy session for me. That's not me, not you guys. You know? Again, like you, right? You even if you're a great parent, you there's always ways you can be better. And so, I guess like chance for smart people to get together about everything and, and make you know, for lack of a you know. Make the world a better place. It's pretty simple. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I agree. But from a country's, we should not be being outperformed by every single country in this crisis. You know, hundred percent. Larger problem. Well, uh, I mean, that's we've we've got a lot today. Uh, I just want to have a, if you don't mind, a few lightning round questions for y'all. You mind? Yes. Um, for both y'all, actually. And this is going to go real quick. Um, old-fashioned beer or IPAs? IPAs. Oh, millennial. I don't actually I drink anymore, so, yeah. John, I don't, I don't like John, yeah, so, John, you When you say old-fashioned beer, what's old-fashioned beer? Like, you know, like, do I, well, I rather drink a Bud, Bud Light, Light than Bud White beer? I mean, Coors Light, Coors banquet beer i mean don't Matt give me Addington don't give Myers. me a snooty snooty uh i'd rather chuck, drink chuck, chuck, a, i'd rather drink a bud light than an overly hoppy ipa yes thank that's you. true <laughs> my, I, I started like you a lot more at least they're now we're breaking my buck too so obviously i obviously y'all are gen, generational x uh but uh who do you who do you rather who are the people that you rather deal with at work Gen Xers or Millennials? Gen Xers. <laughs> yeah, uh, Gen, Gen Xers probably just because there's just more to talk about. I mean, shared experience is important. You don't have to babysit. 
is pretty much is that what y'all are trying to say? No, no, not listen. I've no, learned- I, I love having no. I miss this, and I don't know. I my step, my youngest stepdaughter is nineteen. I think she's Gen Z. So yeah. I think yeah. you know, there's. I do like the. I like the sort of younger. Uh, I like this new generation that's coming in, but the millennials that are kind of like on the south side, five or ten years of me, I'm. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't like them as much as I like the other ones. It's not my favorite generation, but again, that's to, I don't like to generalize. There's some amazing millennials, and there's some terrible. Oh, you're so you're so you're so smooth politically there. You're trying to find the right people, but you know your people. But I found more of my people in Gen X. How's that? Right. Oh, God, so egalitarian there. Uh, on your play, uh, get your phone. What's on your playlist right now, both of y'all? Sage Francis, makeshift patriot. John, probably some Kid Murphy's, probably. I don't know. <laughs> Did you say so, Eddie Murphy? Dropkick Murphy's. No, he said Dropkick Murphy's, by the way, who I've seen three times. Um, but for me, it's 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 actually a mix. It's, I, my son's really into what's good now. So again, he, he's he's putting on to the new Mac Miller, which is a little smoother. Um, I like I'm a '90s grunge kind of guy, so I'm listening to a little bit older. Actually, it's not grunge so much. I was listening to old Radiohead when they were a rock band, and not. Um, and then um, you know, I'll listen. I'm with music. I'm really eclectic. If it's good, it doesn't matter what it is. I have no. I, I love the players. I love what the players bring in. Some of it, I hate some of it. I love the some of the reggaeton that that, that my interns bring in. I hate some of it. If it's good, it's good. So I, I bounce around. I really don't have a single genre for music. I love music. We're both huge. Oh, I was just going to say that I've been um, revisiting 1960s Peruvian soul music. And uh, you got to check out Peru Bravo. That, that's good, apocalyptic, um, feel good, play it really loud and dance. With your with your friends and family, kind of music. No, um, I've been on a Crosby, Stills, Young, and Nash kind of thing. I'm actually trying to learn the guitar since I have nothing else better to do <coughs> with my wife, uh, but uh, she gave it up. Um, besides, I love Crosby, Stills, Nash. Yeah, besides Tucson FC, obviously, FC Tucson. I'm sorry, FC Tucson. Um, who's y'all's favorite football club? Well, I, I can I can take this one. Um, so my Chelsea history is pretty simple. That I, I always liked Chelsea, but I had gone to see them when I was a young coach. One of our coaches took us over there, and I was able to see them train. You know, this is in the Ranieri days, um, and then I started to follow them pretty closely. But I got really connected with Chelsea because I actually Tucson a guy who married a Tucson girl here by the name of Michael Eminello, who was their sporting director, is a personal friend of mine. So all those years that Michael Amanal was running Chelsea, I, I I really got to – so that's how I got to the Champions League game. And I got to see them at Cobham, and I got to, you know, meet Avram Grant and do all these amazing things because of that. So I was a bigger Michael Amanalo fan than I was a Chelsea fan, to be fair, because I cared about my friend. But I really immersed myself in the team, and I had inside information about, you know, how things went. Not, not that he told me things that he wasn't supposed to tell me, but I really had a true insight of – what it was like to to try to manage and try to buy players for a Premier League team and 
how that process was and what the challenges were day to day and being able to go there and watch them play in the Champions League and then talk to the coaches and players after. Just one of these unique things that you never get a chance to do. So I've continued following them just because of – but um, there's a lot of teams I admire. I mean, I admire what man you did. I, I admire them as a coach. So, But uh, with the MLS here, I can't do it because – my job is to bring the teams here, and if I was friends with, if I overly favored one of them, <laughs> it'd be worse. But I, I'm definitely always excited when somebody like Seattle, who comes here in preseason, wins the MLS Cup. So if you're a team that hasn't come here versus a team that's come here, I definitely will pull for you in any game. And obviously, on a real micro level, these are guys with jobs. So I want the guys that I've known. They're worried about their jobs. I mean. They're worried they have to move their families across. So any team that comes here, I'm always rooting for them to do well enough to keep their, their positions because I see them as human beings, not just as GMs and coaches and players. So, Amanda? You're not going to like my answer. If you say Liverpool, I'm shutting this cover. I will delete, I will delete this interview, Amanda, if you say Liverpool. I was going to say Liverpool. <laughs> so, what? You're divided. Your device isn't fully protected. Did that just come up on my cap feed? Did you just yeah. see that on your screen? Did you just I give did. me a virus through the screen? Yeah. No, I did not. No, I did I not. Just, yeah. It was an ad. Seriously, Drake? That was awesome. I got a good reason why. Come on. I wasn't going to lie. I wasn't going to lie. Yeah, okay, what? Okay. I hate no, Liverpool players, bro. Wait, next I admire them, but I hate them. <laughs> I'd rather anybody win but Liverpool. I hate Liverpool. Yeah, sorry. Amen to that, Amanda. Sorry, dude. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead, man. Go ahead, you know Amanda. Please, I just, we really want to. We're on our edge of our seats <laughs> to hear you, to hear why you love Liverpool. Or like Liverpool, I'm sorry. I just, no, I'm kind of like, no, I didn't. I, I, it's about how you brought into the sport. You know what I mean? I didn't know much about European football. And the, the, the president of the PDL team that John actually used to play against, you know, the Albuquerque soul from the tell grew up in Liverpool or, you know, and was born there and John Lennon's hospital. And I have a soft spot for John Lennon. Um, and I think that's kind of what it is. It's a subconscious thing. I grew up a huge Beatles fan. So I just, I'm like Liverpool. I think, Oh, the Beatles. And I just love that. <laughs> but um, no, I mean like, you know, the, the Ron introduced me to the love of the game and brought me to the supporters bars in Albuquerque and I got to sing with them. And, and that's kind of the tutelage I came in through, you know, I didn't really know much else. So I didn't know y'all could be such assholes about that <laughs> question, but I do yeah, know no, now. No, 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 you're right. And, and, and what you say is so true to, I think any fan in the States is effective. It's communal. You bring somebody in into some sort of a, I'm not saying a secret club. I went to Texas A&M, so that's why I like I really love the English game is because at A&M we have what we call you know our, our chants or our yells right uh, throughout the whole game. We're yelling throughout the whole game, and we have a organizational yell. And so when I started watching, when I started watching English matches, I'm like, man, they sound a lot a lot like my you know my college team you know my college football team so <laughs> this communal thing that you're talking about when i started watching football i'm like it's crazy it, these people are, are nuts first and foremost but i want to be nuts like them 
And it's just, they bring you in no matter what. And it's just. Okay. If I can also just say, sorry to cut you off, Jesus. But my experience through that too helps me to understand our fans a little bit better. Because it's intimidating AF (laughs) to come into the sport when you don't have like a background on it. You know, you see everybody else that's got their beer and their scarves on and they know the songs and people don't really pay attention to you unless you're talking to the game. And I tell you, that's that if if we create a culture like that with our club, we're going to lose people. and We're not going to ever find the kind of people because it's like, you know, you, it's it's like you're not part of the club. And that was like my, you know, what I had seen. So I always try to keep that in mind that like. You know, I, I, I know, like, you know, if we go down and watch the Liverpool game or Man U game or whatever on the weekend, like, you know, I, I, I like people who are com- welcoming, like, you know, and, and welcome you to the spot. And that doesn't always happen. That does not always happen. No, so if we're going to grow the game, we got to be like a little bit more like, hey, that person doesn't have any, you know, Man U or Liverpool gear on and they're showing up to this. We got to talk to them, bring them in. Maybe they're scared to say that they're, you know, they don't know, you know. Um, and I and I just I try to, you know, remember that. Well, I appreciate the Man U fans now that are fans of Man U when it's not as trendy to be a fan of Man U. Just I was a Chelsea fan before it was trendy to be a Chelsea. And Chelsea used to be the really trendy team. And then Man U again was the trendy team. The, the problem with Liverpool is like, like you say, the millennials have all taken to Liverpool. And you just wonder, you just wonder how they would be when Liverpool, when Liverpool isn't there. Liverpool will not be where they are forever because nobody is there forever. They'll have some struggles. And you just wonder. But it's, it's like they have never been to Liverpool. They have no idea what Liverpool is like. My roommate grew up in Liverpool. He's had been his, his family has had season tickets since the beginning. So I got it and I get that. What I don't like is the, the – the, the sort of the farewell Liverpool fans. It's like, look, man, you, you, that's a really rich, deep working class culture. And you're some millennial. That's the hard part, right? It's some millennial who just went online and does a search and starts dabbling about Liverpool. And they never really played football, soccer, and they've never been to Liverpool. And they never, you know, they just get a hat. But everyone hates that about Yankee people the same way. I'm from the Bronx. So I love the Yankees. My grandmother took me to the Yankees. People feel that way about, yeah, oh, you're a Yankee fan. Yeah, great. You spend all the money. Yeah, well, the Yankees used to be crap in the 80s. Okay, They were garbage. Hot garbage. And I went to all those games because I because a big part of why I loved it was I loved my grandmother, you know? And I loved the Bronx and I loved the, the grittiness of it, you know? And then the Yankees really aren't that great anymore because they became so pop. That's why I haven't even been to the new stadium other than the CNNYCFC game. It breaks my heart. I mean, that new state, it's too, it's too corporate. It's too, I sound like an old, I'm like one of those old people now that I hated. I'm, I'm them now. You know, my day, the seat was shitty. You got to, you get a, you didn't get, you didn't get sushi at a ball game, you know? So, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I again, I love, I love Chelsea because I love my friend and I've been on a journey with them. So uh-huh. you've been on that kind of a journey with, it's hard to leave that journey. I thought you were saying, He's are out. I thought you were saying you're a video. The wife's calling. I thought you were yeah. saying you're a Vinnie Jones fan. That's why I don't know. We should wrap for sure and try to listen. Right. I actually have a meeting at seven. Believe it or not. 
with the nonprofit in town that we're gonna we're gonna to partner up with. How many so, more, how many more minutes? Well, let's try to let's try to get. Like, can we have you guys back again right, sometime? Last question. Last question. Real quick. Do you hate to do you hate to lose more than you'd love to win? Absolutely, absolutely. What is it? That's my. Do you hate to lose? My whole life. Hate to lose. I'm the same hate, way. Hate to lose. Hate. I'll, I'll still. Gonna, we're gonna try to lose with grace when we can, but yeah, I I hate to lose. I've never let my kids win at anything. Period. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nobody. Everybody hates playing board games with me here. They want me to lose. Hey. I I am the villain of this house. And qualms about it. All right, guys. Uh, Durant fans, that is Amanda Powers and Mr. John Perlman uh, of FC Tucson. FC Tucson. Woo. I want you to say I, I, I want, Tucson? thank you very much for this. Uh, God, it was almost two hours of great conversation. I really appreciate it. And, John, I am going to take you up on – Getting back to that 2008 Champions League final, I really want to know about your Russian experience. Um, so I'll be hitting you up. But again, a pleasure talking to you both. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank, Thank you, guys. Y'all have a great day. Thank you. You Thanks, too. All right, guys. That was uh, the excellent, an excellent interview with Amanda Powers and John Perlman. Hell, I wish that that interview could have gone on for another hour, guys, maybe another two hours, because uh, they had so much insight on um, the USL, uh, the history that, uh, the, you know, what Amanda was talking about with her former club, um, you know, the dealings with, uh, you know, U.S. men's soccer. Same thing with uh, John Perlman, his history of where, how he came up. And I think that's just a whole nother interview with John. I mean, um, uh, you should, y'all should, uh, I should have, we should have the audio running before the interview, but, um, he was talking about, he's a Chelsea fan, obviously. Uh, and you know, we heard about the, uh, 2008, uh, Champions League final and, you know, what he was talking to us about. And, um, that's just, you know, amazing. But again, we want to thank Amanda and John, uh, for the bottom of our hearts of the Don't Write Me podcast, thanks for you know you know giving us the time and thanks for telling uh, telling our fans um, the hard work that y'all are doing with the USL and bringing up this team which is FC Tucson. So guys, again, uh, if you're in the area of, 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 of Tucson, support them. Uh, go out to their games when they can start playing. Buy their merch. Uh, follow him on social media. I'll have that on our socials as well, um, where you can where you can find them. Um, but I mean, it's just it's just very interesting on the infancy of a football club and how to bring it, you know, how to get it to prominence. And I think they're on the right track, and um, it's just great. But EC and I obviously will dissect that interview uh, when he comes, you know, when he comes back next week. Um, all right, guys, let's, uh, let's talk some United. Uh, I know you're just going to be listening to me babble uh, on like I always do, but I have a promise. I'm not going to bring up Paul Pogba. That's the only, that's the only time I'll mention his name. I'm not going to knock him because I know um, there's certain people that reach out to me that think I'm very unfair. You know what? I'm not going to talk about it. We want to talk about more important things. Um, most important thing uh, is the league going to get kicked off because they have a vote. Coming up this Friday, uh, in the Premier League, I'm sorry, is the Premier League going to get kicked off? 
They have a vote this coming Friday uh, whether or not they will resume uh, games come June and finish the season. Um, I think there's a precedent that's already been set with France already calling or the Lyon, Lyon. However, um, the, my my accent is my Parisian accent is Lyon uh, has already declared uh, Paris Saint Germain uh, the champion, and their leagues are already done. I think that can happen here. Um, with what's happening, uh, with reopening up uh, the economies, you're already starting to see some spikes in certain you know certain areas. Some players are very wary to come back. I think you're going to see a maybe, and I'm, this is the this is my scenario. It's my opinion, my scenario. Uh, take you know take it for what it is. You might not want to hear it, but you know it is what it is. It's my scenario. The league calls. The league, league the, the, the season, boom. You know, the league's game season's over. Liverpool's crowned a champion. And the teams with game in hand, like Sheffield, Aston Villa, I believe it was Sheffield, Aston Villa, and uh, Man City. Uh, let me see. Man City, Sheffield United, and Arsenal would all be given draws. Would that affect the regulation, and would it affect promotion to the uh, sorry, promotion to Champions League? No, it wouldn't. So, for the best interest of of your citizens, of your population, of your players, I I would implore the Premier League or the FA to suspend the league, uh, or just call the league, just call it, you know, we'll call Waterburger and just suspend the league or call it crown Liverpool champion, but put an asterisk by it. You know, obviously you're going to have to put an asterisk by it. Uh, you there, Liverpool uh, FC champions of the 2019-2020 season, asterisk, asterisk, because they didn't complete the season. They'll, they'll, so their title will, will forever be tainted for you Man United fans, and I know um, that wouldn't bother you too much. Put an asterisk by it. And then now the, the question is, would Sheffield now jump ahead of Man United? If you call all, you know, the teams that have 28 games, not 29 like the rest of the league. There's only four of them. If you call them, you know, they say, okay, you're just going to get draws on your game in hand. You don't win, you don't lose, you don't win points or lose points, but you just game a point each. Fine. Sheffield will still be behind United. Uh, they'll <coughs> they'll be above uh, Wolves, I believe, behind United. Behind United will still be in fifth, and it really wouldn't affect the bottom three in regulation. Aston Villa will still get regulated. Uh, it wouldn't affect um, Man City in going above, uh, going above um, Liverpool to win the title, and it really wouldn't affect Arsenal. It is league, you know, league uh, Europa League standing. So. Um, Best case scenario for the Premier League only for Premier League only uh, would that you know that that's probably the best case scenario. I think you know you know the teams that were going to get re- relegated were going to get relegated. The teams are going to make Champions League going to make Champions League <coughs> for United. That only upholds if if 
I would say UEFA has a backbone and actually does do something, uh, have upheld their ban on Man City. The only way we get Champions League is if UEFA has, you know, has that backbone and says, you know what, they don't, they don't, they don't uh, roll over because uh, they're getting an influx of, um, of Abu Dhabi money or not. Uh, they need to hold their hold their stones, you know, put their balls on the table and say no, you know, your financial fair play, uh, um, you know, two year ban is upheld, and there you go, United back, you know, back doors in to a Champions League spot. Uh, again, you know, uh, with the fourth spot, I believe Champions League starts in August for the fourth spot um, uh, teams. So we're looking at. If you even play out the season to try to see positioning in Champions League, you play June, July, and you're obviously, you know, even though they push the season back, you you know, Champions League is still going to have to, you know, come, you know, come a lot quicker and faster than you would. So scrap the season, give your players time to rest, come back in, you know, late July, uh, hopefully after maybe we have a grasp on this whole, you know, this whole thing. This you know COVID nineteen thing, uh, we have better protection for our players. Um, you know, hopefully we have better protection for our fans. But I think that's probably the best. Asterisk for Liverpool, obviously, and you know United gets fifth place and hopefully backdoors their way into Champions League. I know everybody's saying, well, you know the Spurs won the ninety nine finals. You know what? Asterisk on that, you know. I'm a Spurs fan, you know. I'm if uh, if I have to say an asterisk for Liverpool, I'm gonna put an asterisk for the Spurs season because that that season was also a shortened season. But you know, at least they actually won the final. They actually went to the finals and won. They just didn't start. They started the season late. So, uh, but if that uh, saves me some face in in front of Liverpool fans, you know, okay, put an asterisk. We still have three more, uh, actually four more titles. You know. Uh, uh, the Spurs do. Um, Spurs, San Antonio Spurs, not Tottenham Hotspur. So, guys, please don't crucify me. Um, basketball, uh, that's who, that's who they are. Uh, but, you know, Liverpool gets an asterisk. We backdoor our back door our way in. Um, uh, there's really not much other in United. And <laughs> in, in when it comes to United, uh, that's pretty much the main thing. Obviously, the Jaden Sancho things are um are still you know you know twirling around um but there was something pretty interesting uh, that uh i think united tv had a interview with um with uh mr uncle pat or we call him patrice edra uh if you have a chance guys you know tune into united tv uh you or man uh, united podcast i believe uh united podcast they have very very interesting interviews and in this interview, Uncle Pat said that prior to Sir Alex's retirement in 2013, um, Ronaldo was basically uh, the return of the real number seven was actually in the works, uh, you know, to back to, to back to Old Trafford. And also, <laughs> and interesting because uh, at that time, I think Gareth Bale's his the height of his of his. Um, uh, the the rising star of what is what was Gareth Bale in 2012-11-12 with Tottenham. Uh, also, Pat uh, Patrice ever said that Gareth Bale Gareth Bale and Ronaldo were, were pretty much the deals were done 
to come to come the United. And then unfortunately what happened in 2013, uh, and we've been living the nightmare that is Sir Alex Ferguson's retirement has happened. And obviously those deals did not go through. So pose this question to y'all guys. Would how lethal, okay, given the history of Ronaldo and Bale at Madrid, would that have succeeded at United or would a strong manager like Sir Alex Ferguson uh, and his man management, unlike Real Madrid, um, their coaches, because they've been, you know, it's just been a, uh, a turnstile of coaches at Madrid. Would a manager strong enough like, like Sir Alex controlled both egos and made them play pretty much the most to be the most lethal offensive weapon that the world football has ever seen. And I mean, I'm not exaggerating guys. Cause at that time you still have a Chicharito, you said Robert Van Persie. Um, you still had, um, obviously goal skigs, goal skig. I'm sorry. Gigs and skulls are on their, on their way out. Um, our midfield was, you know, suspect, but you know, you still had Ferdinand, Vidic, Evra, um, you know, we, we had players, but to be an out, you know, an offensive juggernaut like that, to have, uh, Ronaldo on one side, Bale on the other side with Robert Van Persie, uh, that is, and with Michael Carrick in the midfield, you're looking at a team that, uh, I don't know, it. I hate, I hate revisionist history. I do. It's like a girlfriend telling you, um, you know, I broke up with you and I wrote you a letter and, uh, you know, but here's, I mean, I wrote you a letter after we broke up, but she gives you a letter like three or four years down the road. It's like, why are you giving me this now? I mean, why are you bringing up, first of all, and in, in the letter it tells you that, you know, she still loves you, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, why are you giving me this five years down the road when, um, you know, you know, and I've already moved on with my life. Um, I'm sorry, guys. I just had a flashback of my past. So uh, <clears throat> sorry to regurgitate that on the air. But it, it would be like that, right? Why is Patrice ever saying something like, uh, you know, uh, Ronaldo and Bale coming to United and then, um, and then Sir Alex is retiring? It's just, don't say it. Come on, please. Just keep your mouth shut. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear of what could have been. We just want... You know, we just want this nightmare of of what poster Alex to be over, and we want to be contending for titles. Don't tell us what could happen because uh, how many Champions Leagues did they win together, Ronaldo and Bale? Anyways, um, but that's all I got for you today, guys. I hope you enjoyed the the part two of the interview with the uh, FC Tucson, uh, Amanda Powers, and John Perlman. Go check them out on. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, subscribe, like to their, you know, to their, to their socials guys. Um, hopefully when they start, you know, playing games, watch their matches, watch USL matches cause they are the lifeblood of us football. Uh, and hopefully may, who knows, maybe we have a, a, for a future United player in the ranks at, at one of the, at the, one of these clubs for the USL, uh, guys, uh, again, Thank you, you know. Thank everybody. Roe from the Rono's podcast, uh, Mark Hutch Ison from uh, the South Texas Trainwrecks. I believe he's working on a new podcast. 
uh, Pink Floyd podcast, guys. So Baron Von Black is working on a Pink Floyd podcast. I'll get the, the title of that next go around. Um, and also Victoria Montevice from Alice in Wonderland Food Trucks. Food Truck, I'm sorry. Um, go check her food out here in uh, South Texas if you're in the area. Support local, buy local guys. And, hey, as one, we all get through this. Y'all take care. Lucky Diaz, where you at? ¿Qué más le gusta de este parade? No me shut up, man. No me...